So uh, several things are before the um, Supreme Court um, regarding the vaccine. Uh, the Lawyers Liberty Council um, filed, uh, and there's, I know the people that are paying attention to that, uh, it's a little confusing because they filed uh, against Janet Mills and uh, the Supreme Court uh, refused to hear the case and a lot of people viewed that as um, a defeat and uh, it wasn't. It was sent back to the state level and they left the door open saying that um, they didn't want to just make judgment that the lower courts should review it. Um, and maybe I'm being too general about this, but th that um, they were, again, leaving the door open uh, for it to come back to them. So it has been filed uh, to go back to the Supreme Court uh, through Liberty Council and that date is scheduled, but the deadline uh, for the mandate for a number of people, both in the medical community and uh, like my wife enrolled in school for nursing or things of that nature, uh, is now. And so um, they, yesterday, Liberty Council went to Washington, filed with the Supreme Court for uh, an IPA, uh, or how does that go, uh, an injunction pending appeal. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know if anything's going to come of that. But uh, point being, be in prayer. Uh, a number of cases uh, are being weighed out. Um, you know, the conservative outlets are, uh, you know, making comment on comments that, the Supreme Court justices made while they were listening to the arguments. Um, and those are very positive. But, you know, keep in mind, uh, we've seen where they just turn around and rule against it also. So uh, we, we need the Lord's favor in this. This is a spiritual war. Um, you know, it's not a physical earthly war. And... Uh, you know, and if it even if it were, uh, we're not equipped to handle that. Uh, we are equipped uh, to handle spiritual war, and our king is capable of handling spiritual war. So stay on your knees, keep your appeal before his throne, and uh, pray that he would, um, you know, hear our prayers and uh, move the hands, the hearts, and the minds of the judges and uh, our rulers at this point, because it is, it's uh, quite a travesty to see the things that are going on, going on. Uh, one of the things th that um, I just want to point out, and maybe I'll just end up ranting and raving rather than preaching, but who knows. Um, the, you're hearing repeatedly, the hospitals are full, okay? Well, um, here's the thing. Um, they're not full at all. Um, they they have lost massive amounts of their staff, and so they have very, and this is not speculation at all, um, 
In fact, people have shared with me on the grounds of anonymity because they don't have permission to share these things. Um, they work in these facilities, and they have literally been told, do not share this with the public. Um, that under threat of your job, okay? Um, they, uh, by law, under, uh, you know, um, insurance regulations, uh, they can only fill so many beds uh, per the percentage of employees that they have. So when they have all these employees being fired and quitting in order to avoid the vaccine and their staff shrinks down to one-third, then they, they, they can't even fill all of those beds. They, they can only fill to a certain percentage of the employees that they have. And then they have to hold in reserve so many of those beds for uh, operational and uh, emergency circumstances, which cuts the number, like, let's say, in half, depending on the facility. So they say, all of our beds are full. Uh, what you mean is one-eighth of the beds that you normally have are present. Yeah, and they're all COVID cases. Meaning that everyone who came in with a boo-boo also tested positive for COVID. Okay, the, the propaganda that is uh, going on, it's absolutely outrageous. So um, Ken Graves uh, sent me a thing uh, last night, asked me to put it on their uh, website. Um, and it is, uh, let me just see if I can find it. Uh, it is a, um, it's an open letter from a professor at uh, the University of uh, Tel Aviv. And um, he, I mean, Israel is like way ahead. ahead. Um, they've progressed much further uh, with all of this than the rest of the nation. We often, especially as Christians, Think of them with a sense of admiration. Um, you know, I think last I read they were better than 80% vaccinated. Um, uh, a number of aspects to it. They're, they're going right down the road with all of this. And um, so Professor Ehud Qumran, uh, ministry, ministry, to the Ministry of Health, it's time to admit failure. So he's a professor at Tel Aviv University and his staff, the Department of Microbiology and Immunology. So who would best know about these things, right? Open letter to all of the politicians, the entire government, to the entire medical community, and to the entire education community of Israel. Uh, he publishes this thing. So let's see if he has a job in right a couple days here. Ministry of Health, it's time to admit failure. In the end, the truth will always be revealed. The truth about coronavirus policy is beginning to be revealed. When the destructive concepts collapse one by one, there is nothing left but to tell the experts who lead the management of the pandemic, we told you so. Two years late, you finally realize that a respiratory virus cannot be defeated 
and that any such attempt is doomed to fail. You do not admit it because you have admitted almost no mistakes in the last two years. But in retrospect, it is clear that you have failed miserably in almost all of your actions, and even the media is already having a hard time covering your shame. You refused to admit that the infection comes in waves that fade by themselves, despite years of observation and scientific knowledge. You instead insisted on attributing every decline of a wave solely to your actions. So, through false propaganda, you overcame the plague. And again, you defeated it. And again, and again, and again. You refuse to admit that mass testing is ineffective, despite your own contingency plan explicitly stating so in Pandemic Influenza Health System Preparedness Plan 2000, page 26. You refused to admit that recovery is more protective than a vaccine, getting COVID and recovering from it, despite previous knowledge and observations showing that non-recovered vaccinated people are more likely to be infected than recovered people. You refuse to admit that the vaccinated are contagious despite the observations. Based on this, you hoped to achieve herd immunity by vaccination, and you failed in that as well. You insisted on ignoring the fact that the disease is dozens of times more dangerous to risk groups and older adults than for young people who are not in risk groups at all. Despite the knowledge that, came from, that it came from China as early as 2020. You refused to adopt the Barrington Declaration signed by more than 60,000 scientists and medical professionals or other common sense programs. You chose to ridicule, slander, distort, discredit them. Instead of right programs and people, you have chosen professionals who lack relevant training to pandemic management. Instead, you chose physicists as chief government advisors, veterinarians, security officers, media personnel, and so on. You understand what a skate, this, you know, University of Tel Aviv, this is, you know, head of a department who is just, you know, head of immunology who is rebuking, openly rebuking government, uh, medical community, and education community with this letter. It's remarkable. You have not set up an effective system for reporting side effects from the vaccines, and reports on side effects have even been deleted from social media pages. Doctors avoid linking side effects to the vaccine, lest you persecute them as you did with some of their colleagues. You have ignored many reports of changes in menstrual intensity and menstrual cycle times. You hid data that allows for objective and proper research. For example, you removed the data on passengers entering and exiting Ben-Gurion Airport. 
Instead, you chose to publish non-objective articles together with senior Pfizer executives on the effectiveness and safety of vaccines. Irreversible damage to trust. However, from the heights of your hubris, you have also ignored the fact that in the end, the truth will be revealed, and it begins to be revealed. The truth is that you have brought the public's trust in you to an unprecedented low, and you have eroded your status as a source of authority. The truth is that you have burned hundreds of billions of shekels, the Israeli currency, to no avail for publishing intimidation, for ineffective tests, for destructive lockdowns, and for disrupting the routine of life in the last two years. You have destroyed the education of our children and their future. You made children feel guilty, scared, smoke, drink, get addicted, drop out, fight, as school principals around the country attest. You have harmed livelihoods, the economy, human rights, mental health, and physical health. You slandered colleagues who did not surrender to you. You turned the people against each other divided society and polarized the discourse. You drained, uh, without any scientific basis, the people who chose not to get vaccinated as enemies of the public and as spreaders of disease. You promote, in an unprecedented way, a draconian policy of discrimination, denial of rights, and selection of people, including children, for their medical choice, a selection that lacks any endemological justification. When you compare the destructive policies you are pursuing with the sane policies of some other countries, you can clearly see that the destruction you have caused has only added victims beyond the vulnerable to the virus. The economy you ruined, the unemployment you caused, the children whose educations you have destroyed. They are surplus victims as a result of your actions only. There is currently no medical emergency, but you have been cultivating such a condition for two years now because of your lust for power, budgets, and control. The only emergency now is that you still set policies, and hold huge budgets for propaganda and psychological engineering instead of directing them to strengthen the healthcare system. This emergency must stop. That is a remarkable piece published by a remarkable team of individuals. You can guarantee that they, you know, they are going to be shunned and ridiculed The boldness of a person to take all of their life's efforts and stand it up like that and and allow the world to assault it. That's admirable. And this is what I'm saying, you guys, about, you know, not I'm not trying to liken us to them. They've got so much more on the line. But when we said we're reopening the church and we will not close it again, a bunch of people attacked us. 
from the premise of that is unchristian, you are unloving, that, that is hateful, it is selfish, all kinds of stuff. Standing up to the bullies and, and resisting them serves everyone else. Right? I mean, that's I'm not talking about even just specifically in this case. Generally speaking, that's true, right? The bully gets to dominate until there is opposition. And that's what needs to happen. Every single one of us, you know, all these young people that were rolling around during, uh, you know, the previous administration with the bumper sticker that said resist, right? What they were doing was complying, right? They're all joining the gang of the bullies, uh, of the intimidators. It's now time for real resistance, to stand up. I, I gave all of that because where we are, exactly where we are in First Peter is disgusting submission to authority. Right? And, and while that is needed as Christians, as believers, for us to set the example right, of compliance, of obedience, of submission to the world, that has a stopping point where you know, it comes to, I'm sorry when you're telling me that I can no longer obey the Lord, then I can't obey you. There, there is a line uh, that the Lord has clearly defined in this whole process. So why don't we uh, pray and then uh, we'll uh, look at uh, what Peter is uh, saying to us. I, I might have said uh, chapter one. We're in uh, chapter two. So let's, let's pray again and uh, jump into this. Father, bless us as we turn to your word. Help us to have our hearts and minds aligned with your spirit. Lord, we, we want uh, to find this balance. And there is a balance uh, where we the world needs to see us as compliant and submission. And, and I don't mean that in a false way. In a way that encourages them uh, to be obedient and to not be rebellious. But at the same time, the necessity of obediently following you. Minister to us from your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so when First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 13 begins by saying, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him to, uh, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. You have to back up to verse 11, where Peter, uh, common, or, you know, uh, uh, Peter says, uh, Beloved, I beg you, and we talked about the fact that that's really where the comma should occur, right? I beg you. As sojourners and pilgrims, right? This is not your home. This is your temporary dwelling place. You know, he gets specifically into don't don't develop a mindset and a thought process and a behavior that you know appears to be part of this world. So I, I'm begging you, and that's the most 
earnest plea that we can possibly generate. You know, you could perhaps see Peter on his knees with his hands clutched together, you know, big old burly fishermen's just begging you uh, to, to behave as someone who this is not your permanent home. This is your temporary home. So you got to behave that way. And he specifically, you know, goes into this discussion about, you know, having your conduct in verse 12 honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, I didn't mention in our last study that he inserts that term a couple times here. And it is a specific Greek terminology that Nero coined and began to assign to the the Christian community, right? That they were especially wicked evildoers. So Peter grabs that and says, your conduct must be above that of the world so that when they speak of you in this way, specifically calling you evildoers, that it's going to bounce off. That, you know, there's always going to be rumors and gossip, right? The world is going to say wicked things about Christians, and we're going to talk about that as we move forward. Nero is, you know, before this is done, he's going to say that the Christians burned Rome down, okay? Uh, the point needs to be that regardless of what kind of accusation, especially false accusation, comes, that there's no reality to it. You know, the people may wholeheartedly embrace the accusation. What Christians are arsonists, you know, and oh, the whole world takes it until time goes by and they realize they're not arsonists. You know, this isn't this isn't their character. This is not who they are. So so it needs to be that our conduct is such that it sheds the accusations, that that it doesn't cling to us in this way. So our our conduct needs to be honorable amongst the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, so so, so let them say whatever they're going to say, right? Because they're going to say it. That, that is that is the way, you know, right? That, you know, in specifically what we're talking about, uh, you know, our president literally saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, well, here's the thing: uh, a, a woman in Illinois as part of her lawsuit against the presidential administration, wanted the records from the CDC that show no person who has had COVID after getting well has carried COVID and transmitted it to anyone else. It has never happened. Okay? The CDC refused. They, they have never published that. They have refused to publish that. It's been requested many times. And legally, that information has been requested by legal teams over and over again. This woman's lawyer had to sue them under the Freedom of Information Act, and they got the records, and it was published last week. There has never been a single case, never been a single case, where an individual who has previously had COVID, who got better, has carried COVID and infected someone else. But here's the thing. They are discovering 
almost every single individual who has had the vaccine is capable of carrying COVID and transmitting it to other people. It's interesting, right? Because they will even say, well, um, and it's not true, but they'll say, if you get the vaccine, uh, you won't get as sick. Okay, so, so so here's the thing, right? Right, because we hear that asymptomatic, we hear that. Okay, so there are some people who've had the vaccine who are asymptomatic, but they're still contagious. So so you know, is this actually a you know an epidemic, a, a pandemic of the unvaccinated, or is it actually a pandemic of the vaccinated? Okay, uh, so, so you know, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to create any more division with this. I'm trying to lend truth to the circumstance and, and you know, make all of this in, in in reference to our faith, right? They're trying to exert more and more control and so You know, I, I don't know if you're aware. Like we talked about in this, you can apply for a medical exemption. Okay, you know. I've got asthma, let's say, and my lungs are in terrible shape. And, uh, you know, I've had profound negative effects from previous vaccinations. And my doctor said I should never get another vaccination in my life. And and now I've got, you know, several letters here from doctors that say I should not. So they go, okay, you can have an exemption, medical exemption. You get a medical exemption. A person comes by, works in the same office and says, um, because of my firmly sincere belief, you know, a Christian beliefs, I do not want to have the vaccination. They say no. Religious discrimination. It, you know, you can say, I, I don't think it's right, but by law, you can say no exemptions. You can do that. They can do that. Okay, they can say no exemptions whatsoever. They can't say it to you and come forcibly vaccinate you, but they can say, uh, we're not going to let anybody work in this environment that's unvaccinated. No one, period. But you can't say, we'll let the people who have medical exemptions work, but you religious folk, uh, we're not going to let you. In fact, we'll let any other applicable that, you know, uh, exemption occur, but not religious exemptions. Strange. No, it's not strange, is it? It's a war between that kingdom and our kingdom about truth and lies, light and darkness. That's what we're experiencing as they exert themselves upon us to gain control. That's what we're experiencing. So they're going to say things you know, that, that are wicked. And in the end, like we just read uh, from the doctor or the professor in uh, Israel, the truth will be known in the end. Uh, 13, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, okay? Well, here's the thing. The Lord has told me a number of things that I must do, right, to be obedient to him. Uh, so if someone comes by and says to me, I want you, under my authority, given to me by the government, I want you to do this, which is a violation of your relationship with the Lord. 
you know, put it in a way that's easily understood. I want you to take this gun and I want you to go over there and I want you to shoot that kid in the head. Well, well how, how can I obey an ordinance set out by a government official as though to the Lord when it's a violation of my relationship with the Lord? Clearly, I can't carry out some, you know, murderous act. In the name of the Lord, okay. Uh, when Hebrews tells me to not forsake the assembling together of the saints, and 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 let's clarify that one more time, um, it is the the construction of parts together for a functioning of the whole, okay. The physical construction of the parts together for the the functioning of the whole. The assembling together. Do not forsake the assembling together. That's not merely ideology, right? That's not one giant worldwide Zoom meeting. We have to physically come together so I can see your face. So you can see me and say, what's wrong? You don't look well, physically or spiritually. Or, wow, what's going on with you? You look wonderful. What's happened? And I can say, you know, tremendous things in my relationship with the Lord. Look what the Lord showed me right here. And I can, I can lend an effectiveness to you. I can give function to you. We assemble physically interlocking together for the purpose of function. The Lord said, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints, right? As some have done, especially as you see the day approaching. And they told us, right, you can't meet in churches. And, and let's dwell on the discrimination here. Again, for just a moment, because we went after them legally and they shifted a bunch of times about the number of people and the square footage and social distancing and masks. They did all of that. And what it came down to is literally, literally, they were saying, if you are assembled together in your building for purposes other than worship, then we will allow that. But if you begin a church service, then that is forbidden. That's not exaggeration. That is what our governor did. So they gave specific examples. If you open your church to let the community come in so that you can help them get assistance from the state, Filling out paperwork for unemployment, for voter registration, for, you know, welfare reception. But let's say at noon, church starts. Then they have a very specific imposition that they put upon us. This building right here, the square footage and the requirements that they put upon us, we could have had seven people in this building. We could have had three people in this room. 
by their allowance. We could have had huge numbers in this room if we were doing something that was government-associated. But if we start a church service, done. How can I obey that? I'm not going to. I know that my Lord is not calling me to cooperate with that, right? That's breaking the law. Our, our governmental leadership is breaking the law and insisting you must help us do that. Forget that. That is that is that did not happen. We said we did it for two weeks, two weeks, and then said not anymore. And we will not do it again. You know, they're, they're going to have to come here, and they won't, right, because we're so small and we're completely under the radar. But we're not going to comply. Right? They're, they're, they will target bigger churches and make an example of them. Okay, And so as we gather together and we pray, we need to be supportive of them. Pray to God that the court case goes through. Right, right now, New York... Rhode Island and uh, Maine are the only states that are doing this to, to uh, the medical workers the way that they are and uh, you know imposing this mandate. It's it's absolutely outrageous. How about this? <clears throat> you guys are aware inside the medical community uh, they are now saying that workers. I'll just give the name. So, so Northern Light, so the whole system, right? Northern Light. Uh, if you're COVID positive, you can go to work. That, that, that mandate came out two days ago. If you're COVID positive, you can go to work. But if you're unvaccinated, you can't. What's the difference? Absurd. Absolutely absurd. Rhode Island has lost so many medical workers that they actually went through the process of putting together COVID sick patients and then contacting COVID positive workers and saying, please come back and work in these COVID clinics that we've created, you're, you're, you know, you're not really sick, you're asymptomatic, um, and you're capable of coming to work, and, and we've collected all the COVID. That, that kind of makes sense, huh? But here's the thing. They're still denying religious exemption for the unvaccinated. The hypocrisy of what we're going through is absolutely outrageous. Uh, what what is going on? This is a massive effort to gain control over the populace, over the minds and the hearts of people. So submit, yes, when you can submit for the Lord's sake, whether to the King as supreme or to the Governor as to those who are sent by Him for punishment of evil doers. Same word for the praise of those who do good. We are to be submissive, right, in, in all of these things that he's calling to. And he gets a little more specific. Keep in mind that, you know, where we are now in history at this moment, uh, Nero has 
taken the throne. 21 years old. That's always, that's a brilliant thought, huh? You know, give a 21-year-old the reins, I don't know. Uh, 21 years old, working in government, that, that's a good idea. Train them up, let them, let, put them in charge of everyone. Yeah, it, it the the calculations of time have been done. Uh, he, he Nero lost his mind when he refused to listen to Paul. Paul came and ministered to him, spoke to him, and he rejected the message. Paul was released because he was innocent. Okay, and. Nero re-arrested him later after he went and saying, this guy was off his rocker so bad that um, he killed, they say, all of his concubines, um, uh, but they were prostitutes. Um, he, he killed them all at once in mass out of paranoia, murdered every last one of them, killed his wife, made three attempts on his mother trying to make it look like a natural catastrophe. Actually had workers remove supportive timbers from her bedroom in secret so that her stone roof might collapse on her while she was in bed. Uh, had workers sabotage a, a fairy-like boat that she took regularly to go out to an island palace that she had, uh, you know, in his mind, convinced that it was just going to fall apart midway and she was going to drown. Okay, uh, They actually discovered the sabotage and attributed it to other parties and then later learned that it was him after he finally just sent assassins to her bedroom who stabbed her to death with daggers. He encased Christians in pitch, alive, lit them on fire, tied to stakes, to illuminate his garden. They burned as torches, alive, screaming in his garden, played his fiddle and rode naked on a chariot through the garden, singing them songs as they died. Submit. To that authority is what Peter is saying. That's that's a pretty tall standard, right? Submit to that authority. But not when it comes to compromise on worship of the Lord. Uh, you know, yes, unthinkably wicked, right? Think about the, some of the rumors. Some of you have heard more rumors in the conspiracy theories of the internet in the last year than perhaps others of you in this room, right? About what perverts island, who was on, and what aircraft they took to get there, and all the different things you may have heard along the way, okay? That all pales in comparison to Nero. That... Peter is telling us as believers to submit to. Submit to these authorities. You need to go home and wrestle with this. Okay? 
This is the same authority. This is the same government. This is the same group that Jesus said, give back to Caesar that which is Caesar's. But when it comes down to worship, right? Peter and John say, no. (laughs) We're going to continue to preach the name of Jesus. Even the assembling together, right? They said, you will no longer preach Jesus' name in public and you will no longer gather here to preach the name in the temple. Where were they the very next day? On the temple steps preaching. Okay, the line, you guys, the line lies in worship. These authority, you want you want those authorities to be righteous men? You want those authorities to be holy? My suggestion to you is go become one of them. Get elected. Go elect one. You know, this whole thing that the church has done of just sitting back and acting like, oh, that's politics. I don't have anything to do with that. Well, that's part of the reason that it has become as corrupt as it is. Barna has done the research for us over and over again. And if 10% more, it's actually less than that, but it's close to 10. If 10% more Christians went to the polls, just went to the polls and voted. We would win by a landslide every single time. Every single time. Christians have seen the corruption and they have thrown in the towel. They have relegated. Look, we have so much more control. You say the voting machines were rigged. Well, let's prove it by voting again and voting again. Giving up, right? I can uh, tell, tell me tell me specifically about your your examination of the voting machines. None of us have. So so what is it that you're actually basing that decision upon? Internet rumors. Internet rumors. Okay. Internet rumors have convinced a massive portion of people that it's hopeless to even vote. Why even vote? It's predetermined. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to stand in the presence of the Lord and say, I gave up. I stopped trying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight to the end, and you need to fight to the end. If it sounds like, you guys, the, the, the message has just gone too political for you this evening, please understand right, what Peter is saying to us and the opportunity we have here in this nation. So much greater, so much greater than any nation in history. Any nation in history, we have a greater opportunity to turn things around. We cannot let lies and gossip and rumor and innuendo drive us away from our Christian responsibilities. My neighbors, right? Look, if they come kill all of us, 
If they come do the absolute worst thing they could possibly do to us, that's the best thing in the world that could ever happen to us, right? We step out of this gruesome world into the eternal presence of our King and our Savior. None of us wants to go through that brief window of exit, right? But the best thing they can do is the you know the worst thing they can do is the best thing they could ever do. It's your neighbors you've got to worry about. They'd be sending those people straight to hell. What stands between those people and those circumstances? Us. Salt and light. The preservative. The illumination. That's who we are. We, we need to fight for these things. You've got to strike the balance in this. Right? Submit. Yes, absolutely. But when it comes to worship, oh, I submit to that king first and only. No other. I will not compromise on these issues whatsoever. What's really unfortunate, you guys, is the churches around us are full of pastors that are preaching compliance. They're telling their congregations, they're telling their congregations, I'm evil for encouraging the body of Christ to come together and to worship and to share and to preach and present truth. And they're saying the same things of you. They're not speaking of me specifically. They're speaking of anyone who thinks like this. You need to stand on the truth of God's word. So here, you know, specifically talking about sin. I mean, take take the you know the specific uh, circumstances. Uh, you know, uh, don't break the law because you're a Christian. Oh, I don't have to submit to these authorities. You know, my king rules over all these things. So that 55 miles an hour doesn't mean a thing. I don't serve this government. Pay my taxes. I don't pay my taxes. I serve one king. You know, so. Just thumb my nose at them. No. No, be obedient. Be submissive. You know, demonstrate to the world that you are obedient and compliant to your king in what he's calling you to do. But when it comes to worship, that's where you have to find the line. That's where you have to draw the line in the sand uh, so that you are obedient to your heavenly father. For this is the will of God that by doing uh, so let, let's read 14 again well, you know so submit to yourself 13 ordinance uh, for the Lord's sake the king uh, supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good right they 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 want to arrest us for meeting together any one of us would take that gladly right we, we want to go and preach out in public uh, the word of God, and they want to arrest us and put us in jail, we would take that gladly, right? And understand, the laws are shifting so rapidly and so dramatically right now that it will not be long. It will be very soon where they will begin to tell us we cannot preach in the streets. They're doing it just across the border in Canada. Okay. You know, they you know, you say, really? Yeah, they, they can't say there um, that uh, um, there is only male and female. We talked about this recently. 
Right? That's, that's a myth that can no longer be presented in public as truth. For, for seven years now, in all Canadian provinces, you cannot wear a cross openly that has a center bar longer than three quarters of an inch. For real. We, we had a pastor here from Quebec that came down and visit and was so excited about the freedom that we have here. And was I gave him a moment to speak uh, before we began that morning uh, to encourage the body of Christ of protect your freedoms. Don't give them up. Do not allow the government to continue to steamroll you. Right? You know, the first time he came here was 10 years ago, and um, they startled me with that announcement a little more than uh, eight years ago now, almost nine years ago, you know, saying that they can't wear a cross. You, can't, you, can, you can own or wear a cross bigger than that, but it has to be out of public view. They're relegating our faith to the mind. You can think and believe whatever you want to, but, but it can't even come out of your mouth can't be expressed publicly. This is where we're headed. And this is this is what you're going to face. And, you know, right? When it becomes war, you guys, you know, when you get to the place where it becomes war, like all the rules are gone, right? You, you don't you don't continue like, you know, hey, I'm not gonna worry about it. I can't punch that guy in the face. I mean, you know, just because he's shooting at me. When it comes down to real physical war, you don't sit around debating about, now can I shoot straight back at that guy? No, he's trying to kill you. We, we have entered a place. Don't, don't misunderstand me. to talk. I'm not talking about this in light of physical war. We are in a spiritual war and the gloves are off. It is, it is time to start opening our mouths. It is time to stand up in public. It is time to call your representatives and kick them in the can and make them go do what they're supposed to be doing. They know, you guys, they know, right? When one person calls, there, there are generalizations. But if your local rep gets one call, he knows that represents 100 people. Okay? Okay. For every phone call they get, there's 100 people that are not calling. So if they're getting 50 phone calls, that's when they start going, hey, next election round, I might not be sitting in this office, man. It is very important that we be involved as believers, that, that, we, that we contact, that we show up, that we voice our opinion, that this is how the bullies are put down is when they experience opposition. And this is not about, right, this is not about pride. This isn't about selfishness. I say again, the, the biggest thing you're protecting is your innocent, weak neighbors. Right? Because if our freedom is taken, theirs is also. The, the tyrant takes over everything when it's done. We're, we're protecting the world from the encroachment of Lucifer himself. So, uh, submission, yes. The world needs to see that. And, the, and see, there's the thing, right? It, you know, if we stand up and we say, you know, um, 
I, I refuse to submit to this whole thing. I need to have you know freedom of religion. You know, I rebel against this. And I also don't pay my taxes, and I also speed, and I also deal drugs off my back porch, and I, you know what I'm saying? And they're like, well, we're not listening to you, right? What you are is a criminal. You're just a rebel. But when you can stand up and say, no, 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 I'm my integrity is completely intact, even in standing here and, and speaking my dissent, right? My integrity is intact. Even in my defiance, I am good and right and correct and you know not sinning. They need to see this type of submission. For this is the will of God, that submission, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. He's going to talk a little bit later about uh, muzzling them. You know, wouldn't you like to just be able to walk? right into the Capitol building, you know what I'm saying, muckle right on to somebody and strap the muzzle right on and cinch it right down to where, you know, this speaker will not be speaking anymore. Um, you know, put to silence through your good conduct. Now, there's a whole bunch of people that only go to the physical realm. Right. We need to arm ourselves and march on the Capitol building and kick the doors down and no, wrong answer. Completely wrong answer. You know, prayer, you know, civil disobedience in proper measure as we are obedient to our spiritual king needs to be uh, that we are uh, conducting ourselves rightly. So uh, silencing uh, those that are uh, ignorant and foolish men, you know, as free. So us speaking of us, you know, be in submission as though you are free, yet not using liberty, freedom as a cloak for vice, literally sin. And, and there are people that do that on lots of different levels. Yeah, sure. I drink beers, but that's because I'm free to. Yeah, sure. I smoke pot because Christ has freed me to do that. No, no, he's freed you from that. He's, he's delivered you from these things. He's not delivered you into them. He hasn't given you freedom to participate in them. Hey, you were a slave bound to sin, destined to do those things. He, he unlocked your imprisonment and liberated you out of those things. Right? Christ has given me freedom to rebel against this government. No, no, he's... He's given you the freedom to submit to this government. His freedom is not as the world would declare freedom. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak uh, for vice, for sin. But as bond servants, right? And we've all talked about uh, that definition of bond servant, the one who would say, I want to serve this master for the rest of my life who would be taken to the door of the home and their earlobe would be stretched over the, the door and a an awl would be driven through their ear, nailing them to the house, uh, you know, meaning literally you're attached to this house now. And they would take that out and put a golden ring in, which symbolized this, the chain 
of slavery, and yet it was royalty because it was gold, uh, that single link meant you were attached like a slave would be chained. You are attached to that household. The master, the master of that house has your ear. He speaks to you and you hear it and you obey. Didn't nail the hand there. Didn't nail the foot there. Nailed the ear there so that the listening belonged to the master. All of the obedience follows, right? How many times have you been speaking to a child and they're not listening and you're saying their name over and over and over and over? Grandkids are great for that right now. Ben, 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 Benjamin, Benjamin. You know, you say his name 50,000 times. You know, you can grab his head and turn his face toward you and his eyes are still to the left and he's still not listening. And you have to say, look into my eyes. And he'll turn around and look at you and you say, stop doing that. Okay. And he will stop. Once you've actually got a hold of his ear. Emotionally and spiritually, you've gotten a hold of his ear. You know, obey your king as a bond servant in obedience to the authorities that are over you. Does the Lord have your ear in this? Maybe he didn't have your ear before you walked into this message tonight. Is he gaining your ear right now? That you would hear that there needs to be both civil obedience and compliance while you find the line where you must also resist in order to be the bond servant of Jesus Christ. right? Because I can't disobey Jesus Christ and still be his bond servant. There's no way I can do that. So I must find the balance in these things. So we can't use this as a, a, a disguise, a camouflage for sin. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. Honor all people. What if they are stark, raving, mad, left-wing liberals? Honor all people. I'll tell you this right now. If you'll have respect for them, right, you're going to be able to talk to them a lot easier. You know, many of you guys have seen my pastor speak, Ken Graves, You've seen his presentations, his political presentations, the different things that he's done. I have seen him interact many, many times with profound, progressive, liberal, woke individuals. He is so gracious, so kind, so patient, so understanding. Not a pushover at all, not even remotely. I've learned a lot from watching him over the years and how to minister to people, honoring all people, all people, taking people where they're at and just loving them and caring for them and listening to them, you know, finding that one point that the Lord, as they're sharing all this garbage with you, hearing from the Lord that one point that you can appropriately just a moment later just say, well, you say this, but have you ever considered and let them, you know, just pull the pin out of the grenade and hand it to them. 
let them deal with everything. Like, wow, that blew up my whole thought process. I've never, I've never considered that before. When you'll be respectful. Oh, the division, you guys. We've seen it everywhere, have we not? All these people that are supposed to be providing with us with answers are just going around and driving wedges everywhere they can. Just divide and divide and divide. It doesn't matter what happens, right? Good grief, you know, if I pull a rabbit out of my hat right now and say that, you know, tomorrow, you know, a marshmallow factory explodes, somebody's going to use that to divide the nation. They're, they're going to focus on a group. They're going to pit this group against that group. It doesn't matter. Man, if, if a marshmallow factory explodes tomorrow, won't we all be amazed? Is that, that <clears throat> this is what the world is doing. They're just taking every opportunity, right? You know, natural disaster happens. It's definitely the Republicans' fault. You know what I'm saying? Like, really? Wow, I didn't know they were charged with tornadoes. But okay, you know. Right, right. It is because we don't believe in climate change. You know? This is how they do all things. Division. Division and division and division. Honoring all people, right? Think, think about it. The group that so very often we are so set against, every one of those poor souls is probably going to spend an eternity in hell. That's heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. Who's going to save them? Well, guess what? We're the ambassadors. We're, we're the preachers. We're the ones who have the life ring in our hand. Who else is going to save them from the lake of fire? Christ has equipped us and sent us and put us in these environments. Oh, God, show us how to speak. Show us how to honor them. You know, I'm not talking about honoring their false message, right? I'm not talking about respecting their lies. I'm talking about how do we win a soul? Submission, graciousness, kindness. The Lord will use you, even, even as you're opposing somebody, hearing the Holy Spirit and how to deliver that same message in a way that they might be able to receive it. Now he shifts gears, and we're going to jump into it, uh, where he says, um, uh, uh, I guess I, I did not honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So honor all people. Love the brotherhood, um, the body of Christ, so necessary. And uh, the church uh, is being divided. You know, I've described several elements of that. Uh, one, of, one of the biggest things I've noticed over the decades of ministry is uh, that uh, it just personality, foibles. You know, I don't like that guy. Well, he likes country music, you know what I'm saying? It's big deal. You know, and, and we, you know, you know, he laughs too loud. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, let's let's get the mirror out and start examining ourselves. Love the body of Christ. It is very, very important. Uh, I, I've watched the body of Christ divide over the weirdest things. Weirdest things, you know. They all drink caffeine. You know, I can't hang out with them. You know, none of them drink caffeine, so I can't hang out with them. 
No. All of those guys eat meat. I can't hang out with them. None of those guys eat meat. I can't hang out with them. You know, just, they all wear sweaters. I never wear sweaters. You know, so. All of those guys wear leather jackets. I never wear leather jackets. But we divide. Are these not earthly things? Right? I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Right? Okay, he's saying, doesn't that condemn you? Doesn't that prove you're carnal? Okay. Here's something, here's something to go chew on, right? We use a term, carnal Christian. Scripture doesn't use that anywhere. It says you are either a Christian or you are carnal. You are of the flesh or you are of the spirit. Okay. And when Paul says that division, that sectarianism, right? I am of the first church of Peter. You know, I only attend Paul's message. You know, I, that sectarianism, right? That denominationalism. When we get to that mindset, he's saying, are you not proving that you're carnal? That isn't... Aren't you fleshly minded as a Christian? It seems to be that he's saying, are you saved? Are you saved? If you're thinking like that? That's a serious accusation put forth by an apostle that we need to examine ourselves about. You know, where, where does Christ have us? What is going on in our behavior? When we think like, certainly, right? There are churches down the road that I would never be able to be comfortable in. Right? I'm not going to be ministered to by those churches. So there is a need for a broad spectrum of churches. There's a need for that. Why? Because there's a broad spectrum of people. But guess what? The church down the road, they're part of the body of Christ. <laughs> and the other church down the road, they are also a part of the body of Christ. And that other one, way out on the edge, they're the part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is much bigger than our church. You know? And the difference is, we're called to unity, not uniformity. The scripture actually condemns that concept of uniformity. There must be differences. Must be differences. Paul even said there must be conflicts. Must be fighting. Wait a minute, what? There must be fighting within the body of Christ. How so? To prove who's right. Right? Because, let's face it, sometimes some of us are wrong. Probably more me than others, often. The, the, the pride that's associated with being human, being a human being, needs to be abandoned, especially in the body of Christ. Right? Honor everyone that you can. I love this church. I just love this church. The people in this church, what the Lord is doing in this church, I'm extremely content in this church. I know the Lord doesn't want me anywhere else. You know, I hope you feel the same way. Right? But when we meet the people from the other church, we need to be as thrilled about their contentment in their church. And you know, their pastor being content at his church. 
this division that is everywhere. You know, love the brotherhood. Fear God. Oh, man, I've had a conversation with three people from this church who have been dealing with really sticky situations, and they've asked each time, they've made the statement of, I, I don't see any fear of God in this situation. These other people that I'm contending with, there are people who profess to be Christians, and they have no fear of God. And I've even heard it preached, like, oh, then we shouldn't fear God. No, not in that sense. You know, fear simply means reverence. You know, I've raised three daughters. And every one of them will tell you that they trust me wholeheartedly with anything in their whole entire life. But they're, especially when they are younger, there was a time where they knew better. They knew better than to cross the line. I, uh, there's a particular instance where, uh, how to shorten it up. It'll still be a long story. Uh, we were in a huge suburban, uh, our, our family suburban, four-wheel drive, studded snow tires, but we, we were going to pick my oldest daughter, Christian, up from the um, Manchester, New Hampshire airport. And uh, the ice storm uh, shifted slightly north than what they had expected. And we find ourselves in just like a half inch of glazed ice. And, I mean, I've driven since I was 16 years old in Maine. And that evening my hair was standing right up on the back of my neck. Such, such a ride, right? And I can't, I got to go to the airport. This, this daughter, this young woman and her best friend from college are going to land in the airport and be all alone. Uh, I need to get there. So we're driving through this and the two younger daughters are in the back seat and it's like romper room. Chaos. They're ricocheting off the car. They're laughing their heads off. They have no concept of the danger that we're in. And I've been through all the nicety of girls. I can't have you doing this. This is really serious in the ice. And we go through this. And I've gotten to the place where I won't do it. But, I mean, I've raised my voice to the place of raw intimidation. And no one's listening to me. And I've given all the warning shots. And I finally ease the Suburban over into the breakdown lane and come to a full stop. And the back seat goes silent. But I'm fully committed to delivering the discipline so that we don't have any more of this nonsense at all. And I get out of the truck and I edge my way around because I'm on ice and I open the back door and I haul one of the daughters that had been the most boisterous and the most disruptive right out of the car physically leave the door open 
so the other one can see. And I've got this daughter by the arm. And this may sound a little extreme to you. But I whip her over to the right. And she just glides seamlessly across the ground. Whoosh. And I grab her again and I whip her back the other direction. And I whip her back the other direction. And I whip her back the other direction. And then I get her right up in my face and I say, this is what I'm driving on. <laughs> and you're in the back seat acting like it's a heyday and it's a massive distraction and you've got to stop right now. And I swat her on the butt three times. And I hoist her up and drop her in her seat and I buckle her in myself and cinch her right down. <laughs> and I ease my way back around and get up in the seat and I put it in drive and for the next three hours there's utter silence in the car. Six years later, no exaggeration, I learn that it was the other daughter. I learned from both of them that it was the other daughter that was instigating and carrying out the whole thing. And that the other one paid the cost. But here's the thing. The fear is appropriate. The distract I need I need a gajillion percent of my attention to keep everyone, not just us, right? I could kill somebody else on the road, somebody totally innocent. I need a gajillion percent. Fear in that situation is necessary. There is a literal hell. And there is a judge, a merciful, gracious judge, who paid the cost himself to avoid that punishment. But if it comes down to brass tacks, he has the authority to relegate an individual to a punishment that was originally designed for the devil and the angels themselves. How heartbreaking, right? You've got to understand the merciful God that does not want to mete out that punishment. He literally threw himself into the jaws of death to try and you know rescue people from this. But if it comes down to it, there's not going to be any arguing, right? You've got to know that his judgment is perfect and right and good. Fear. Fear. As we sit here and face these critical decisions that, w that I'm describing, I'm unintimidated by the governments of the world. It is the fear of God. The fear of God. That I am most concerned about. I, I have, um, you know, I've described to you before, I could give you a handful of occasions where the Lord has orchestrated circumstances where he put me in people's paths and I begged and I pleaded with them to come to the Lord and in less than, you know, a couple of days, they were in the presence of God. It doesn't get any more serious than that. This struggle really is life and death. It really is eternal. You know, I know of people right now that have stopped coming to church. Stopped. 
coming to church because of these mandates and what has gone on, and they have fallen completely away from the Lord. Completely away from the Lord. Fear, fear of a disease, fear of men, fear of earthly punishment, rather than fear of God, has caused them to, right now, for all intensive purposes, for everything I can see, to walk away from the faith. That is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. I've called them. I've pleaded with them. I've been to their homes. I've encouraged them. And, and still, you know, not, not walking with the Lord. It's a serious thing. Fear of God. Then he says, honor the king. Fear of God, right? That has to be before honor the king. That has to be prioritized. You know, even, even if it had been written, you know, honor the king and then fear God, you know, you, you can clearly put the priority on fear God. Honor the king. Be respectful. You know, then people go, well, you should never even speak ill. Well, here's a thought. John the Baptist, right? Greatest of all prophets, right? According to who? Jesus Christ. Why did he get beheaded? Told Herod that his marriage was sinful, right? Uh, John just should have stayed out of politics, right? No, he was the greatest prophet ever. Ever. Does anybody remember what Jesus said about Herod himself? What did, what did Jesus call Herod? A fox. A fox. Okay. Some people would say, oh, that's very disrespectful. you got to take it up with Jesus. Okay. You know, honor, honoring, that's, that's, that's a different realm of obedient respect, right? But the trickery, the sinfulness, this, this doesn't cause us to just act like a, a bunch of spineless, wishy-washy, hell. there needs to be strength. There needs to be opposition that the Lord would have us stand and declare what is truth. Rewind to the Old Testament and look at the behavior of the prophets, right? That Hebrews in the New Testament tells us the world was not worthy of them. We, we need to be people who make uh, the honest presentation. You know, maybe you find a way to say it with a great deal of dignity and a great deal of respect. But if you're going to declare the truth to someone who's lying and being sinful, I'll be blunt, like Janet Mills, <laughs> then things are going to have to be said in a very direct way. Publicly, privately. People need to hear the truth. I respect the authority. I respect the position. I am submitted to it. I, I do not say anything. I do not do anything that's, that's rebellious or in opposition to it. 
When it comes to fearing God, that supersedes all of that. Supersedes it. Make sure that doesn't pollute the rest of your person and the rest of your conduct. Amen? So, now let's move forward a little bit into servants. We would best think of this, it certainly has slavery involved in it. We are talking about the Roman Empire where you know there were more slaves than there were free men in that society. So it does have that sense. But we would more think of it in regard to employment. Okay, And in this regard, there were many who were Jews who had sold themselves into slavery, which was far more reflective of employment than the slavery of Rome, right? Rome would just kidnap people and put them under the whip and force submission through violence and even death. So this is being addressed to them and the submission that's being encouraged and commanded by Peter. Why? Because there is a legal obligation under Rome to do that. The Lord and the scripture condemns slavery. Anyone that would, you know, not employment, not what we would think of as Jewish servitude, right? That's much closer to what we would think of as employment. Uh, slavery, scripture absolutely condemns. Anyone who kidnaps another person is to be put to death according to the scripture, right? God, God does not endorse slavery ever. There, are, there were you know, Christian ministers here in America, especially in the South, that were, you know, encouraging, endorsing slavery as though it were a biblical premise. And they use passages like this to justify, okay? Uh, you need to separate those two things, okay? Uh, Peter is saying Rome's in charge. And Rome has established a legal precedent that says, People can own and hold slaves. And if you are a Christian under that government, under that authority, then here are some guidelines for servants in that setting. From there, you have to also look at the whole perspective of what Jewish servants would be. And abuse was not even allowed in those settings. Uh, you know, if a Jewish brother sold himself to another Jew, that then they were supposed to be cordial in their conduct with one another. And there were punishments for the person who misused his fellow Hebrew brother. So you have to sort of view this through the two lenses as he speaks to servants. Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Right? If you show up late, leave early, don't perform on the job, steal pencils, <laughs> and your boss is constantly yelling at you, don't act like you're a martyr. You know. If you work harder than anybody else, show up early, stay late, go far and above beyond what is expected, and he hates you because you're a Christian, 
and persecutes you and yells at you and says all kinds of terrible things, then you can hold your head high. But if you're suffering because of your misconduct, then suck it up because that's why you're suffering. Right? There, there's no room in this discussion. Uh, I got a terrible boss. Do you really? I mean, maybe you do. There are terrible bosses. I've worked for several of them. Okay, I'm not trying to say there are not. But so very often, uh, you know, people say, oh, my boss is terrible. Then when you talk to the boss, the employee is terrible. So consider, let's, let's make sure, right, that any challenge we face in this setting is not because of our conduct. Not because of the things we have done. So, uh, you know, it needs to be that we are commendable, sub submissive, gentle, you know, and uh, in the process, if they're harsh, uh, then we're suffering wrongfully. Uh, it's commendable. For what credit is it if when you are beaten, and it's literally the idea of you experience blows, if you are struck, right? So here... You know, in this setting, in this time, under this legal atmosphere, that was done and that was allowed to a certain degree. What credit is it when you're beaten for your fault? You take it patiently. And when you do, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God, right? Slacking off and not performing and stealing from the job and doing terrible things and fighting with your fellow employees and the, the boss finally unleashes on you, don't act like a martyr. You know, if, if you do good and you suffer for it. Now listen, those of us that have lived out our Christian faith in the workplace are often familiar with the fact that you suffer tremendously for it because your boss and your fellow co-workers will often despise you for your faith. They'll often despise you for your exemplary conduct, right? Show up early, work harder than everybody else, stay later, and they'll hate you for it. Usually the boss won't, but, you know, fellow workers will. It's interesting the persecution that comes to the believer. For if this you were called, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his footsteps. The way this is written in the Greek language is really quite unique. Um, talking about those daughters that I raised, um, there were many times uh, where we would go outside and play in the snow. And, uh, you know, when you get the big snowfall and it's three feet deep, you know, two feet deep, and dad goes out first, and they try to follow. It was really cute the first few times to see them standing in one footprint and trying to jump over into the next one that I had made, and then the next one that I had made, and the next one that I had made. Why? Because if they were just trying to move through themselves, it would be impossible. This is actually the language that's being described here. Following the footsteps of Christ. Yes, his stride is a lot bigger than yours. Okay. It's perfect. Yours is very imperfect. 
You will not be able to leap from where you are to what he was able to accomplish. But you should try. You should look for the path that he has cut before you. It is a difficult one. It is narrow. It's not easy. It's not broad. It's not smooth, right? Broad is the road to destruction. But, but if you will take the challenge, you will find the passage through. Right? If you will understand, that's the only path you can take. You, you, can't, you can't force your own path through in a different way. The steps he has taken, those are the ones you and I need to take. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. These are the strides. This is the path. This is what the Lord has cut out. This is what we need to do. Oh, that, that bar is so high, is it not? It just, you know, you do it, you do it for a little while and you can get exhausted and you give yourself permission. Don't. Okay, you don't. I do. Right? I've been good for days. And now I'm just going to be rude. You know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, I'm going to be sinful. And, you know, I can't do it. Uh, uh, no, you should try. Yeah. Right. Why? Because caving in and just doing the junk, it hurts you. Number one, it hurts you. And then it hurts everybody around you. And everyone you try to minister to. The footsteps, the path, the way, right? That's what Christianity was known as. Before, before the Christians were called Christians in Antioch, the, the entirety of our faith was referred to as the way. And the way that they were referring to was the way that Christian, or rather that Jesus had lived that we as believers were following. What are all these people doing? They're following the way of Jesus. That's where we need to be at. Looking for, searching for, where's the next footstep that he made? What is the next thing? What is it What do I need to do? And to follow that very carefully. So, you know, in this whole thing, uh, we are called uh, to emulate uh, Jesus and to follow him you know, as he did, uh, following him in his footsteps, who commits no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. In regard to being a servant, it must be that your conduct is such, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, nor commit himself to him, who but commit himself. He, he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. I'm going to back up into this next week. I'll just finish this out. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Uh, just a couple of things to close. Um, we often say this inappropriately. By his stripes, we are healed. It's actually singular in the original language. By his stripe. Okay. And, and that it's the summary of all of his suffering. Okay. He, by his striking, 
Okay, And if you're thinking um, beating, scourging, crucifixion, yes. But how about the fact that he just had to endure being a human? Had to come here and get tired. Had to come here and get tired of Peter. Of me and you. Right? Had to go through these things by his stripe. By, by that which he was struck, we are healed. It's an all-encapsulating, all-encompassing statement. By his stripe, we are healed. The fact that he has subjected himself to being human and being flesh and enduring what he did. That's how we're healed. Yes, yes, the beating. Yes, the bleeding at Gethsemane. Right. The scourging, of course, the crucifixion, and bear it right. But the entirety of his being struck is how we are healed. And then, so poignant, again, I'll cover this more hopefully next week, but um, he, he says, you know, that uh, we were like sheep going astray, now return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Uh, how, how did Peter get brought back into the ministry, right? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You know, and then what does Peter say over and over again to the leadership? Tend the flock. Be a shepherd. This is his message. We have an overseer. We have a shepherd. How do sheep experience a shepherd? Through submission. Follow him. Follow him in obedience. Right? That shepherd gave his life for you. So that you didn't have to be butchered. And, and in the process, we should find ourselves in a state of obedience. You obey that one who gave the ultimate cost first. With that fear and reverence in, in respectful place. Before you obey the kings and governors and leaders of this earth. As far as priority goes. The degree to which we submit to those governors must come through the filter of our shepherd first. There's a great picture that Peter paints for us. So I know it kept you super long, so we'll end there and pick up three next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. Father, I thank you very much for your love and your graciousness. Thank you. Lord, bless my brothers and sisters for their patience with me going so long this evening. I pray, Lord, that this message would sink into our hearts. It's such a difficult thing right now for so many of us with the challenges that are being presented. I pray that more than anything we would hear from this, the submission to you. To whatever degree we need to be disobedient, uh, I pray that it is only so that we could be obedient to you. Help us, guide us, minister to us, give us clarity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.